You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Hey, Michael. Andre Prue. How are you? I am super duper. Super duper. Because I'm really excited about this podcast because I was really excited to interview this person we're about to speak to. And by the time you find people who are listening to my mellifluous tones... Are, are listening tones? to this? Yeah, something like that. We will have interviewed her father, Daddy. Yep. Daddy. But uh, I guess I will, I will go down the rabbit hole a little bit more. When I went to BC a couple of years ago, so we're talking about someone who now works in BC. Uh, everyone told me I needed to go to this winery, and I had such a crammed schedule. It was the one place I didn't get to. And then they came. They came. The daughter came to Toronto and uh, I unfortunately couldn't make the interview because I went to the afternoon session and you got a little evening tete-a-tete with Sarah Triggs. My name's Sarah Triggs. I uh, work in the British Columbian wine industry with my family, Don and Elaine Triggs, for a business called Colmena Family Estate Winery. Um, We have been open since 2013. And your last name is obviously familiar because your dad is Don Triggs of Jackson Triggs. That's right. That was the business that dad and a number of other partners uh, started in the a couple decades ago. Anyway, uh, it was sold in 2006 or so uh, in, a, in, a, in a takeover bid um, when the sale of that uh, project went through dad resigned um, pretty much the next day and was thrust into a pretty early re- uh, let's say an unexpected retirement okay um and uh it wasn't really too long before he started hankering to start over again okay so and that's when uh Colmena came into being so you've been open since 2013 yeah is that when the vineyards were planted yeah i uh we've we've been on the property since 2007 um i say it was a twinkle in dad's eye in 2006 um and that's really when we started talking as a family um about the possibility of starting over with the objectives of Colmena in mind we knew we wanted to maybe do things a little bit differently with this project keep it a smaller family estate something that remained in our own control if you will okay um but also one if we were going to spend a whole bunch of effort and time into starting over we really wanted to do something special and that's really where Kulmana began, the name and the idea, Kulmana meaning peak or summit in Latin, what we're aiming for in quality, and of course having really nice poetry for all of our lives kind of coming up to, together up to this point. Um, that was 2007 when we finally purchased this new property down in the South Okanagan um, we, of course, changed f- locations from Ontario to BC for a couple of different reasons. Okay. But Let's, what, what are the reasons? Yeah. Well, some of them were personal. My sister and new grandbabies for mom and dad were, okay. were, start, were starting to flourish on the West Coast. And, of course, the other, the other thing we wanted to do with this project was a Bordeaux-style red blend. Okay. And for us, when we were thinking about you know, doing something special with varieties like Cabernet Sauvignon, yeah. you need some consistency in ripening 
And of course, the South Okanagan is more likely to be able to get that consistency of ripening for those especially late ripeners like Cab and I, I would agree. Uh, like I'll say it is November 3rd today, and we are in downtown Toronto. And I know from looking at my social media feed, some wineries in Niagara are still just starting to harvest their Bordeaux varietals after how kind of wet, cold, and crappy this summer was. And I have a feeling you don't see many November harvests in BC. Well, interestingly enough, because of the way our season tracks, we're often allowed to to pick into November. Well, then I stand corrected. Yeah, (laughs) but it is... It, what on our site in particular, why we why we found this site was to be able to give us that extra hang time. Okay. And that's really the hang time, especially at the end of the season, which is going to polish off those tannins yeah. and get that extra ripeness that's really important. In fact, that suitability is what we were looking for when we were looking for sites. Um, we actually got in touch with um, an old friend and someone who mom and dad have both been working on on, on projects. Uh, dad with the Asoyas the Rose project and mom um, in managing her Delane Vineyard out here in Niagara um, was a gentleman by the name of Alain Sutra who is also from Bordeaux. And he, with his help, we started looking for sites with this potential. Okay, now we've talked, you, you said the word Bordeaux varietals twice, mm-hmm. but there is something that is clearly not a Bordeaux varietal oh, in right. my glass right now that you, you poured for me right as you were getting set up here. Right. And uh, it, it's got a very nice mineral note, bright citrus. Yeah. It's so, definitely uh, definitely not so a Bordeaux varietal. The original intention was a Bordeaux red. And when we vetted the site's potential for Bordeaux Reds, Bordeaux varieties, we mm-hmm. got the big check mark for Bordeaux Reds, but not Bordeaux Whites. Okay. And that's because in our temperature study, our wintertime and growing season study of the property in advance of purchase or in and around the time of purchase, we found winters too harsh for Semillon and Sauvignon Blanc. Okay. So we knew we'd have to, to find more winter-hardy white varieties. Uh, um, uh, and those, of course, like cooler sites than what we had on our Bordeaux site. Okay. So we were thinking to do a nice quality fine white, we'd have to go further north. But we ended up going up in elevation above our Bordeaux variety site, 200 meters higher in elevation. And we found some schist soil in the back corner of this particular site and in our terroir study. And that was a good indicator for growing the variety that you're tasting right now, which is uh, our Gruner Veltliner. Wow, okay. So we were the first to grow this variety in the Okanagan Valley. There was one other predecessor in British Columbia from Cowichan Valley. But because we were the first in the Okanagan, we, we decided to call this wine Unicus, which means unprecedented or unique in Latin, um, because we were the first to grow it. Uh, as I mentioned, all of, all of our, uh, on all of our benches on the property, we have three different elevation benches on the property, we did extensive study to basically 
make sure a that we could achieve the objectives that we wanted to which were doing something special yeah but also so we could figure out as much as we could about our terroir before we planted so that we could then match up the characteristics with the best clone and rootstock that would suit those individual so where do you okay this is going to get really really geeky for Mm -hmm. people listening but I, i just have to know so when you're bringing something new to a wine region how do you know where to start in terms of uh, rootstock and, uh, and and proper clones? Because, you know, even if you try to do the com- comparison, let's face it, uh, the Okanagan isn't a carbon copy of right. uh, Austria or anywhere else that you're growing Brunner <laughs> in, in the world, right? Well, I, I can comment on the first half in terms of the rootstock, because rootstock is more often than not used to match up to the water holding capacity and soil type of your property more than anything else. You want to put more aggressive rootstocks on looser soils and you want to put very not very aggressive rootstocks on heavier soils. Now for us um, that, that was easy to match up with our consultants range of knowledge. I mean this is a land's expertise is in fact Uh, vineyard development and site selection he's a full service consultant but i would say that is his specific specialty and then in terms of a new variety like gruner veltliner well the clone was the only legal clone that we could actually source okay and that was important for us when you say legal this is with vqa no legal in the sense of getting it from an accredited nursery okay (laughs) without uh, not a suitcase clone. Let's okay. just say that. Okay. So for us, that meant that it was virus-free. It yes. meant that it was coming into the country legally. Yeah. It meant that we were approved to be able to bring it in, not from a VQA perspective, yes. uh, although that variety was still like among the list of varieties that were acceptable under the VQA program in BC. Yeah. Um, but it was important for us to get that uh, to get that safe material in if we were bringing in something new to the to the province. It's it's really interesting tasting this wine because region, it's uh, it's very typical of, of, of most of the of, of most of the gruners that I've tasted in the past. But it's just something about that uh, heat that you get in the Okanagan Valley that you're getting a little bit more orchard fruit and a, a floral note that you don't usually find in Gruner because Gruner can be very austere and acidic and mineral and it's a great a great food wine yeah. it's a great wine to to enjoy uh, on on its own but this one's just it's really easy to drink yeah I, I'd say we're definitely um, Gruner Veltliner always carries a lot of citrus and, and we're still definitely in that pocket we're however more of the grapefruit end of things as opposed to more of the like the yellow and green citrus, the yes, lemon lime. Yes, yes, I'd agree with that. And instead of those more really uh, strong uh, peppery, we tend to get more lighter herb characters, which is, yeah, and it makes it more fun. All right, so what have we got next to taste? And so I, I need to ask you, I guess while you're, we're pouring this, take a step back about what's happening at the wine winery right now and these wines right now. Uh, what's it like to work with your family like that and uh when did you know you wanted to get into wine yourself oh uh well i think uh getting into the wine industry really was a result of getting involved in this project it was a family decision for all of us to go into the business together again 
um, mom and dad obviously at a time in their life where they probably wouldn't have started a new project without a little bit of succession. Um, I myself had been living and working in the Philippines, working in foreign aid in a completely different field. Yep, so no, no uh, vinifera in the Philippines. No, that's right. <laughs> working in international project management. And for me, it seemed not only like a wonderful opportunity for me to come back to Canada, but to also come and work in the field that I'd grown up around. Um, so those were those feelings were part of the the reason that we started discussing Coleman and the idea for it. Ironically, though, because I had grown up around it, I'd accumulated a lot of wine work throughout my life without really trying. Let's say, so having worked in wine retail pretty much every summer and. Christmas holiday, <laughs> four years putting myself through university, um, you know, paying off travel debts, working in Mons Vineyard or doing a vintage. So by the time I'd ended up deciding to go into the business, I'd actually had a lot of stuff behind me to help put forth towards business, so, which was great. So what do you do uh, at, at the winery then? Uh, I uh, basically do marketing and foraying more into sales now these days. Uh, I manage the full front of house team and operation, um, do all the marketing and packaging and all, um, all that kind of good stuff. Do you still end up on the tractor once in a while though? Not really so much on the tractor. <laughs> Sorting table, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah, uh, polishing glasses all the time. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, none of us are, let's just say, we're a small business, so, I mean, there's no, uh, there's no armchair managers in a small business, so. Well, it's, it's a business that certainly involved. has a bit of a, bit of a buzz. I know I told you off the microphone, but also when I was in BC, I had people from inside the industry, so not, not tourists, but people who actually work for other wineries say that Colmena is the place to visit right now um so i mean it's just really really uh, interesting to see how you've been able to sort of hit the ground running because your reputation is is definitely preceding you at this point that's awesome to hear especially from somebody coming from outside and visiting us in the okanagan it's uh it's it's been a passion project for all of us i mean we've put our whole selves into it and i think that's part of the reason why i love the industry so much myself is is because it is a creative enterprise. I mean, you're basically birthing wine into existence and in uh, uh, sharing it with the world. So, so, so you've talked a little bit about about scale and how your family wanted to do something on a smaller scale. And obviously, mm-hmm. Jackson Triggs Niagara is is a, a huge winery, at least in in Ontario wine mm-hmm. terms. How many cases does Coleman make right now? Well, because we've planted everything from scratch, and to go back to our timeline of you know closing in on the property in 2007, spending uh, basically a full year doing terroir study, taking an entire year to clear the property full of rocks, and then planting in 2009. Um, Essentially, it's been a long a progression of, of time to be able to, to develop the project from its inception. Okay. Yeah. So um, how many cases did you make last year? So uh, everything from the beginning uh, has grown in successive okay. as we've planted the three benches. 
So we do have three different elevation benches on the property. The white's on top, the red's on the lowest bench, the winery bench, okay. and a middle bench which has red and white. Okay. So uh, we're basically now between, in terms of sales, between five and 6,000 cases per year of available inventory, yeah. but our production this year is between eight and 9,000 cases. Well, that's great. And that's because, of course, as well, our plantings are more red to white and of course when you're a Bordeaux red producer then you put a lot into barrel yep. and into a bottle to age before release so we, we have a lot of, 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 of we're carrying a lot uh, as we as we get older but our, our we're looking probably at a max of 10,000 cases if we follow along the same um, marketing strategy that we are right now. This next one is called Dilemma. Dilemma? Dilemma, which is 100% Chardonnay, uh, named, as the name suggests, a difficult decision. Okay. Involved, essentially, in whether to rip out or keep an old block of Chardonnay vines on the property. Okay. Uh, when we were looking for sites to do our Bordeaux Red, we were looking predominantly for virgin sites. We found it in this area called the Golden Mile Bench, where our winery now sits. There were, however, a small strip of old vines on the property. Um, now, because uh, these old vines were wide spacings, they were lower density, mm -hmm. and they weren't matched up like a glove in a hand to the terroir, uh, like our new plantings were to be, Alain, our consultant, had said, you should be ripping those out. You're gonna get. You're gonna see a jump up in quality. Trust you, me. Um, but of course, working vineyard, uh, giving you income, and you know, having to wait five years for a potential product in the bottle, was a difficult decision to have to make, or to be faced with. However, in our first vintage, uh, our first. Uh, crush of the Merlot to compare to the old Merlot and the, the the cab to compare to the old cab he was right we did see a huge jump up in the young fruit and we knew all those varieties including the Chardonnay had to go okay so we call the new plantings of Chardonnay up planted on Margaret's bench at elevation where it's better suited for this variety um and where it's planted in high-density uh, plantings uh, that are more custom-matched to the terroir. Uh, we call it Dilemma to pay tribute to that difficult decision. Okay, so this is made with the, the newly planted vineyard. That's right. Vineyard. So this is the third vintage from those new vines of fifthly fruit. There is no way, if I was uh, if I was tasting these not knowing where the winery was, that I'd be able to guess this is South Okanagan. Because these white wines are holding on to their acidity in a way that uh, I don't I hope you guys are writing a manual for some <laughs> of the other wineries in BC and I'm not going to call anyone out because don't get me wrong the wines are great there Chardonnay was great Riesling was great but these are better well for us <laughs> I we're, we're just trying to make the, the the best that we can from from what we're we're working with and and appreciate that you're enjoying them that's great so there, it, it, it tastes like there's quite a bit of um, new oak on the Chardonnay? Yeah, it's about, like, roughly speaking, about half French oak, 35% of the total new, and about 15% second-use barrels. Okay. Um, with so the other half, half is... being stainless. Okay. Um, of course, uh, we 
uh, there's a little bit of mallow on this as well. I think we're at 40% or so if my memory serves correctly. Um, just for texture, yep, uh, texture and um, and some of those uh, those lovely flavors as well. Um, it is what I would say about this style is definitely a nice contrast, a tension, if you will, between mm -hmm. opulence and backbone. So it, it it's kind of to your point a little bit. Uh, it holds both kind of characters of old and new world in yeah. its hands very. Very easily. Well, and then it is interesting. Like, I'm, I'm, it's interesting to hear that you, you kept the fifty percent in in stainless steel. Um, I, I'm guessing just to hold on to some of that freshness and, and yep. keep that acidity like really laser beam. This this definitely cuts through on the back palette. Like, it, it finishes really clean, even though there mm. is a lot of that heavier oak on the on the mid palette. Uh, I wish there was a little bit more more fruit in it, but it's still really nice, really nice Chardonnay. Thank you. Yeah, I think uh, for, I mean, with a third vintage of Chardonnay, there's only so much new or used, or pardon me, second or third or fourth used oak that you have in your program. Yes. So we're also developing that as we go. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I mean, it, yeah, it's definitely something that's going to be interesting to taste future vintages as you get a more uh, established barrel program and you get a little bit more age on the, on the uh, vineyards too. Yeah. Okay. This is... I'm looking forward to this. We got a, some rosé in front of me. Yeah. This is a part of our R&D series, R&D by Culmina series. A little bit different uh, label, a bit more whimsy in this range. The R&D, of course, referring to that research and development that uh, I, I spoke about in terms of that soil and terroir and temperature study that we did on the property. But this range is also a tribute to my dad and his twin brother, whose names are Ron and Don. So the, the R&D, and there's a little cute picture of them as boys on the front label that um, is kind of kind of great. And last year we had the R&D Red make its mm -hmm. way through vintages, and it was a friggin' steal at 24 bucks. And I see there's a label just on the other side of the table, so I think we're going to be getting to that in a moment. But yeah. um, what's in what's in the rosé? Uh, the rosé, all of our R&D by Colmena wines are blends, okay. um, the rosé included. We're a Bordeaux varietal house, so you can expect to see Bordeaux varietals in the rosé. So Merlot, both Cabs and Malbec are represented in this, this wine that is made in the direct press method. Mm -hmm. We do have another rosé that's made in the Sanyen method and carries that name. Um, one interesting thing about our rosé program is because of the way that our vineyard was planted a result of the terroir study, you know, when we did that soil study, uh, we dug 22 soil pits around the property at a meter in depth just on our winery bench, and each one of those uh, soil pits was different. There was a hundred percent diversity in between those those pits. <laughs> so the only way that we could accommodate actually all of that diversity was to create a whole bunch of small blocks. Okay. So we have forty four micro parcels on fifty six acres across three benches, and our block size averaging a block an, an acre and a quarter. Okay. So of course, when you even have multiple 
blocks going into a single rosé, then you're often getting unique clone and rootstock combinations reflected in each of those parcels. Okay. Um, so with our rosé, when we are doing multiple blocks and multiple uh, varieties, we tend to get quite an expressive expression, if you will, of, 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 of our entire terroir on our property. It's, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, I mean, the aromas, like there's a little bit of a, a savory note, like a red pepper jelly that kind of soars over everything, but you put it in your mouth and it's, it's everything I like about a little, little bit warmer climate rosé. Like the, the fruit is almost confectioned, like it tastes like fruit roll-ups a little bit, but oh. it finishes very dry. Like there's a little bit of sweetness on the finish, but still very dry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's just got that concentration from the, the, the fruit. Like this is a rosé that would hold up to like a steak or a stew or, or something a little bit heavier in, in the winter or, you know, if it's springtime or summertime, you could just sit and probably guzzle a bottle of this in the patio and and just enjoy the afternoon. Exactly. Very versatile, for sure. <laughs> we'll, we'll... I like how you took what I said and made it so much classier. <laughs> this is going to bat all four seasons, <laughs> for sure. How much is the is the rosé? Um, in uh, we, we don't have this one here in Ontario. But... No, but at the, at the wine. Let's just assume that I'm going to have to get into a plane and fly we, out to Colmona. So. But, well, we may have some wines here. So it would I think it's priced around uh 28 bucks here or something of that nature for licensees I think is private importation now if I was coming to visit you at the winery is the price the same uh no it's not okay yeah yeah it's around 20 bucks okay but keep in mind all British Columbian wine prices tack on 15% taxes on top oh, of the winery price no we we, we, we know so, that it's just it's uh like even at 28 dollars is still something worth checking out some of the, the yeah. best rosés that we re- I reviewed this year like from Two Sisters and from Southbrook we're both pushing up on $30 and this is definitely on par with that in terms of, of quality it's just unfortunate that uh, we can't get the BC pricing here yeah still worth the money at, at $28 and it just speaks to the uh, the value that these wines do offer great all right. Well, then moving into... Like I said, I didn't want to spend too much time making you have to apologize for the fact that your wines are more expensive here. <laughs> what do we got? What do we got? Moving into Please. the reds. So this is our Cabernet Sauvignon. And you might consider doing a little side-by-side vertical with that of our Merlot. Ooh, this is this gonna be fun. Is and make sure you taste the cab first. Okay. Interestingly enough, um, we are in the Golden Mile Bench, as I mentioned. That is the Appalachian sub-Appalachian that was formed in the area of our winery bench in 2015. The characteristics on this bench uh, are glacial alluvial fan soil, of course fluvial uh, formations as well, highly concentrated mineral ri- with minerality, lots of mineral rich rock and soil calcium oxide, calcium carbonate in the soil and uh, a, a bench that's raised up off the valley floor uh, with really good soil and air uh, and water drainage um, so unique for these features that they created this sub-appellation in 2015. Now, we'd always intended to do a Bordeaux red blend as what our primary objective with Culmina was all about. 
However, when the appellation was formed in 2015, it seemed a missed opportunity for us not to start examining and tracking how single varietals not only go into the blend, because of course we know how they're tasting before they go into hypothesis, but to then see how they age and develop in perpetuity. Well, it's also difficult when you're producing on such a small batch to keep those barrels aside. Right. You know, when you have a really kick-ass barrel, you want that to be a part of your, exactly. you know, your peak wine. So it's it's tough making the call to whether blend it in with to be a, some of the whole or hold it back. So I, yeah, definitely understand that. Yeah. So we we decided to start tracking these as single varietals. Um, the first vintage in 2013. This is now the 14. And of course, we've added a Cabernet Franc this vintage uh, and Malbec next year, uh, next vintage. Okay. Well, that's or the 2015, rather, the so, next release. So for 2018, there'll be a nice box set from Coleman. <laughs> well, inter- the full set. interestingly enough, in, in the 15 vintage, we didn't have a Cab Franc, but we did have a Malbec. So, <laughs> so we'll see if we ever get the full set. Okay. Uh, this, this just, the Cab Sauve is, is very good. It's, um, it's a little bit more closed off, like black smoke, black licorice, um, pencil shaving. The fruit's there, but it's just it's buried under some of that, uh, you know, more dark, darker smells and tastes from the the barrel. And uh, just getting into the the Merlot, it's once again like that 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 confectioned uh, fruit, without being like jammy and, and cloying. Like the fruit's very very ripe. Like it's like dark, strawberry yeah. jam, black currant, but yeah. like. But not invasive. Like, it's really, really restrained. Yeah, I I would say the difference between our cabs versus our Merlot is that our cabs tend to be more floral, a little bit, uh, with the Cab Franc, certainly more earthy, um, a little bit more feminine, versus our Merlot is the broader, the more masculine in terms of its sort of mouthfeel and just overall demeanor, if you will. Which is an interesting contrast to most people's expectations of what they think these varietals will encompass, at least on on our side of the pond. People are often shocked by our ordering of the Cabernet before the Merlot in a, in a progression. Well, it's, it's just it's one other thing, and, and, and I, I try not to do it with, with BC wine, just like I try not to do it with Ontario wine, is um, I try really hard not to compare us to other regions because that's not yeah. how that's not how wine really works yeah. wine speaks of where it's it's made but i think the best way to describe bc is it, it straddles a fine line between old world and, and new world mm. um styles and i think these wines definitely speak to that it's just the way you've held on to that acidity mm-hmm. ripened the, the the fruit without you know going over the top you know california style cab which if you taste it through bc you know that it's possible to get the fruit that ripe if you want to. Yeah, and I think that for us is probably more an indicator of where we are on the west side of the valley in the Golden Mile Bench. There are other properties on the east side of the valley, which carry maybe some more of those characteristics that you're referring so to. So the west side of the valley, you're on the same side as like Tin Horn. Yes. And yeah, who are in the Golden Mile Bench? Exactly uh, right. Intersection, which is a very yep. small winery that I know. And then the east side, people in Ontario would be more familiar with Black places Hills, like yeah, and uh, Burrowing Burrowing Owl, Owl. Uh, and Inca Meat further south. Yeah, exactly. See, look, right. I, 
I kept notes. I know my geography of <laughs> Southern Okanagan. Exactly right. <laughs> All right. Uh, so with the wineries, then with the east and the west, you ever do like a big throwdown of, of east versus west? Or no, I mean, uh, for I hate dumping these no. out, but we got more wines to taste. <laughs> we, I think. Um... It is interesting how geographically close, because we're talking about like a handful of kilometers, the style of wine can be from one side of the valley to the other. I would also say that we might be more in the minority in terms of creating wines from a small geography. There are a lot of the larger, more well-known wineries in the valley, and this is a really great quality producers who make excellent wine. A lot of them source, source grapes from areas all over the valley. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that kind of competition would necessarily have as much weight, given that, you know... Uh, uh, where people's grapes are from is not necessarily where the wineries are sitting themselves. <laughs> that was a more serious answer than I was expecting because it wasn't a serious question, but I uh, appreciate it nonetheless. So what I have in my glass now is... Hypothesis. Hypothesis. 2013. This is okay. our third vintage of uh, our flagship. Uh, this was really what we were intending to do when we purchased the property, was to do a blend of this kind. It's interesting that you've called it hypothesis, because obviously a hypothesis is uh, a thing that needs... It's an, it's an idea that needs to be proven, right? Right. It, it's our proposal that's demanding more investigation, if you will. Okay. Um, you know, with all of that soil and temperature study... Uh, that terroir work that we did to try and understand, you know, that's with all, all of that data that we collected in that block map that was generated. It's not like that was the end, like, Oh, learning over, we're done. You know, nature is still going to continue to, to uh, allow us to learn. And, and, you know, we may have got some of those decisions wrong and have to tweak and adjust, but at the end of the day, you know, it's a, it's a, it's just a reminder of that continual learning that's going to take place. And this is gorgeous. On. This is just gorgeous, and it's, it's really impressive because the, um, the fruit is really coming through right now. It's, it's really drinking great right now. But at the mm -hmm. same time, you get that second sip, and I'm on the third sip of my glass. That tannin is starting to poke through. Mm -hmm. So I mean, this is definitely in its youth, but this is, I, I, I say a wine like this is, is. Uh, it's dangerous to have uh, because even even if you spend a little bit of money, I'm guessing this is what around forty, fifty dollars. I think, yeah, it's it's tucking under it's tucking under fifty bucks. Tucking under fifty yeah. bucks. I mean, this is the sort of wine where you're definitely, especially for someone like me, saving this for an occasion, a really great meal or or, or, or something. But I I don't think I'd be able to hold on to this in my cellar for too long, just because it, it's so approachable <laughs> from the the onset. Yeah. Um, but if you felt like holding on to this for 10, I'd say 10 or 12 years, you would watch it probably evolve and hold on to some fruit. To be fair as well, this is the heel of a bottle that's been open since 11 this morning and okay. double decanted. So okay. these wines are a lot more upfront when uh, opening them as well. Lucky me. Because, yeah. I mean, it's still like, <laughs> I'm still getting it. It's just like, okay, this is still feeling like it's not even completely opened yet. This is open at 11, double yeah. decanted, and this is the bottom of the bottle? Yeah, it's the okay. 
I guess I guess we're gonna have to go through a second bottle sometime. <laughs> this is really impressive. Fantastic. All right, I think we have one we more. We have one more, the R&D Red Blend, and sort of doing it at the end because stylistically, this is, we've uh, it is a slightly different direction for for this range of uh, wines. The vintage on this. 15. Okay. This is the first uh, uh, vintage of all five varietals in the R&D. Um, and of course, uh, you know, meant for a broader appeal, if you will, in terms of its extract and in terms of, uh, you know, openness. So this is meant for drinking a little bit more youthfully when it's young, mm -hmm. but still has lots of structure and character uh, in the wine for sure. Definitely, uh, you, you definitely checked all the boxes, and it's yeah. This is a lot more fruit front and center, like that's right on right. the back. It's it's got nice structure, but it's uh, compared to all the other that's right reds that we've tasted. You know, it's uh, less smoke, less uh, less black, a little bit more red. That's right, a, a little less umami, I would say, because um, I always find our Common Family Estate Winery series have lots of that, like, kind of Vegemite. Okay, no, I said character. I said hypothesis was, was dangerous, and you gave me the, <laughs> the disclaimer that came with this. But this is now this is a sort of wine that's that's my jam because the last vintage that came through vintages was around twenty four dollars, and I hope this makes its way through vintages as well because this is the sort of wine where if you're new to wine or you're building a cellar or you just want to know what the hell BC wine tastes like without spending 50 bucks on some of the more expensive bottles that are working their way through, this is where it's at. Like, this is a very fair price for wine. And if you want to age a bottle, and this is sealed under a screw cap as well, so you could hold on to this for 5, 10 years as well and watch it yep. watch it evolve. Yep. Or just do like me and have it open the moment you get it home. <laughs> exactly. This is really, really good. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you very much for tasting through these um, these wines. With me. anything else you wanted to add? Are we, I know you. I know. I don't know if you know um, whether Vintage is going to be taking these, but these wines are available through Woodman Wines and Spirits. That's correct. Yeah, for uh, for private importation and consignment, with the exception of Unicus, which is available for restaurants in Ontario. There we go. Thank you very much, Sarah. <laughs> thank you. It was really interesting to learn how they sort of have their portfolio structured because um, there's obviously a strength on the Bordeaux-style varieties that they have planted in their vineyards. Um, but the white grapes are sort of all over the place, and that Chardonnay they had was so, like, flinty, steely, and minerally. Like, I was expecting a little bit more, you know, peach and pineapple, just some of that BC heat that you usually expect. Yeah, I, I, I thought the wines were were very good i i have to be honest i don't have my notes in front of me i remember liking them <laughs> you know um, I'll, I'll tell you what the thing I, the one thing because it's it is one of my favorite wines when it comes through the lcbo it was impressive to taste kind of the um the single varieties and the more high-end offering for the the red bordeaux uh varietals but I'm just such a sucker for that R&D red blend. It comes in at about 24 oh, bucks. Yeah. And if it, let's face it, BC wine, when it gets to Ontario, can get a little pricey. pricey. And if you want to get like in on the ground level, something that will sell her for a few years, like it might not sell her for like 20, 30 years, but who cares about that? Crack it, open it, enjoy like the beautiful ripe red fruit that BC offers and some really nice structure. Like Don Triggs is a great winemaker. 
So speaking of Don Triggs, and this is exciting, and we're letting people in on it. Yep. You know, we have thought about who else to put in the Legacy Podcast, and we've, yep. we've kind of looked at at our second generation, I guess, Legacy Podcast, and we're already starting to plan those. But then suddenly we get an email, Don Triggs is coming to town. That's first generation. Yep. So we're and really we're going to get a chance to speak to him. So we already spoke to Alan Jackson. Now we're going to speak to the other side. Yep. Well, so I'm I'm, I'm jazzed. I'm completely jazzed. So uh, I would like to uh, just do a quick shout out to uh, Rachel Woodman of Woodman Wine and Spirits for setting that up for us. Yes. Because we are really looking forward to it. And we appreciate the, them making the time for us. So. Uh, speaking of appreciating the time, you find listeners, we appreciate you taking the time to listen to this podcast every week, and uh, we hope you enjoyed our, our first look at Culmina Winery. You can follow me on social media at Andre Wine Review. I am Andre Prue from AndreWineReview.ca. And I am Michael Pincus of MichaelPincusWineReview.com. Follow me at The Grape forget. Guy on most social medias, and uh, just Michael Pincus on Facebook, because uh, at that time I wasn't very creative. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, uh, forward it to a friend, help us grow and make this a very successful thing, even though I think, I we're think it already anything. is a successful yeah. thing. It's award-winning we're award-winning podcast. after yeah, all. That's right. So, uh, hey, you want to you you sign us off here? Let's do it again. Good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes.